Hello and welcome to Should I Stay or Should I Go? The podcast providing you with expert career insight and advice from senior people in the fields of insurance and risk management to help you make the right career decisions. Hosted by founder and managing partner of Key Strategies LLC, Mike Tenenbaum. Featuring interviews with those at the top of their game, each podcast explores topical issues, coupled with specialist guidance on making your next move in the corporate risk management, insurance brokerage, and the insurance carrier sectors. A seasoned recruiter, Mike Tenenbaum has over 30 years of experience in sourcing top insurance and risk management talent for world-class Fortune 500 companies throughout the US. This experience makes your host the perfect person to kickstart the conversations that will give you the wisdom you need to decide. Should I stay or should I go? Before we begin with today's segment, I'd like to introduce our new sponsor. Hi, this is Patrick O'Neill, founder of Red Hand Advisors, a risk management technology consulting and advisory firm. We help Fortune 1000 clients understand their risk technology needs and then identify and optimize the best solutions. Recently, a client asked us to help them replace their current risk management information system. This is a very common request. During our initial analysis, we discovered that while their current system was not meeting their needs, it wasn't for a lack of capabilities. We learned that during the implementation, lower priority items were deferred until after the implementation and never revisited. Additionally, and a more common issue we see, is that their priorities had changed over time, but the system had not changed to meet these new priorities. And finally, we identified new features of the system that were not currently being utilized. I am joined today by Valerie Franco, who is a longtime risk manager who's currently a leadership coach, and she set up her own coaching organization, and we'll talk about that. So Valerie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Nice to be here. Great to have you, Valerie. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you about your career transition and how you went from being a VP of risk management at Lowe's to now having your own coaching organization. Maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about what you're doing now as a leadership coach. Sure, absolutely. As you mentioned, I've gone from working for a Fortune 40 corporation to being a solopreneur, learning lots of new things myself, but I was inspired as I thought about, for a couple of reasons, making a change in my career. Actually, I worked with a coach to make the decision to decide if I was ready to leave Lowe's and what I would like to do next. And just based on examining what really inspired me during my career, what I enjoyed doing and what I have natural talents for, it led me to being a leadership coach. And uh, so you, uh, you actually worked with a coach to come to that conclusion? That's right. That's right. Great. So how did you go about that? I'm curious. Yes, it was a combination of some some things happening both within the organization at Lowe's, some changes there as well as changes in my personal life. And I truly started the journey about a year and a half before I actually left. It was definitely a decision I took very seriously. I absolutely loved my time at Lowe's and the people that I worked with there. So it was a big decision to leave. And I knew I wasn't ready to ride off into the sunset or to do the same thing somewhere else. So it was a decision that came about, as I said, really this self-examination of where do I get in flow, what really inspired me and got my juices going, 
and what could I contribute also? So it really does come from a place of purpose and, uh, you know, wanting to help other people and contribute. Yeah, I can tell that put a lot of thought into that. And, you know, I think what happens to a lot of people at some point in their lives, they they realize that, you know, maybe there's something else that they could be doing to apply their skills and abilities that's not directly related to the career that they've pursued for most of their life. So it sounds like you had a, a bit of an epiphany there. It, it is. And it's in some ways a continuation as well, even though it looks very different. Let's talk a little bit about how you're at Lowe's for a number of years and, and you got into you know, a pretty senior position. You were a VP of the department. You must have learned a fair amount about leadership in a Fortune 40 organization. Absolutely. And that was really it. I, I had been in leadership roles in the past when I was working in claims. And while there was some leadership development, as, as I'm sure you recognize so often, we're put into leadership roles because we do the technical job well. We're a good claims examiner, so we become a team leader. And again, I work for terrific claims organizations also, but it really wasn't until I got to Lowe's that I was the recipient of some excellent leadership development courses and, you know, just a really able to go off-site for a week and spend time just working on developing leadership skills. And I recognized how much I enjoyed that and also how important it was. Because as you mentioned, you know, in moving up, I had a team of 75 people. <laughs> so I didn't do anything on my own. I'm not responsible for any success by myself. It all happened with the engagement and the enthusiasm and hard work of a lot of people. That's a completely different skill set than the technical knowledge needed to purchase insurance or, or run an enterprise risk management program or whatnot. So, so it became really, in my mind, the more important skill to be developed. So what's it like managing 75 people? <laughs> it's never a dull moment. Um, <laughs> I had such a terrific team. Every day was different. And, you know, it really just so many concepts come into play because what's important is to understand what each individual person needs, what they need to be successful, what they need to um, be motivated, and also to examine and understand yourself and how you're showing up. And, you know, if someone is not getting it or not performing, is there something that I could do differently? Do they need a different way of communication? Or it's just a constant examination of what's going to work in this situation. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a good point because when I think about you know recruiting and I think about all the different personalities of the people that I deal with, and I could see how you know some people are very structured and they need a very structured environment. And some people are very unstructured. And if you have too much structure, then it makes them uncomfortable. On a team of 75 people, you're going to probably have a little bit of both. That's definitely true. And I can actually share a story. So it's not just the people on my team, but also influencing others in the organization to help us achieve our goals, you know, convincing my boss of what we need, the chief risk officer. And one of the things that I was able to do uh, as far as development goes is go to the Centers for Creative Leadership and do a lot of self-assessment work and really understand 
how I tick and what are my strengths and how do I communicate and so forth. And I learned that one piece of my communication style is I'm a bottom liner. I don't really enjoy getting into all the details. I, I cut to the chase. And that is actually the minority of people. Most people prefer the context. And so I started to reflect on uh, some frustration. I hadn't been working with my boss for very long and, and I felt like he wasn't always getting on board with my ideas as quickly as I'd like. And I thought about how he communicated and he sort of started at the beginning and said, we did this and we measured this and we learned this. And so we want to do this thing. And I wasn't going through those steps. And I thought, maybe that's what's happening. You know, that's why I'm not getting through. So by being able to recognize that and then adjust my communication style, I was able to get more buy-in. That's just one example of how as we are open to looking at different ways of being, it can really help us to connect with people better. That's a great point. And I think a little self-reflection is probably a good thing for all of us. When you're thinking about how you're made up and, and what works for yourself, it probably helps you to think about, you know, more from an empathy standpoint, how you can relate to other people and understand what's driving them. Absolutely. And then likewise, when you're communicating to the C-suite, you must that must be helpful as well to have that perspective. Yes, it is. And it's, you know, the thing that was really a tipping point for me is just the power of questions to others and questions to myself. Before learning some of these techniques and some of these things about myself, I, you know, might get caught up in a story of, oh, he is not getting on board because he doesn't think that it's a good idea or that. I know what I'm talking about, or we make up <laughs> things to explain. However, if we take the time to either ask ourselves, is that really it? Am I communicating this well enough? Do I need to take a different approach? Or just ask the person questions, then we can set aside assumptions and get to what's real. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, really, you have to do whatever you can, frankly, to make sure your message is getting across to whoever you're interacting with. Especially if it's people on your team, you know, you're responsible for them. Right. So you certainly hope that they're getting the message. When you think about leadership, what are some of the things that someone who's an aspiring leader would need to develop and work on in their skill set to be effective? As I just alluded to, asking questions and being a great listener. I think especially, and I see this, I re recall this trait in myself is thinking I needed to come with all the answers that people needed for me to tell them information or what to do. And in reality, it's to collaborate and help people think and solve and learn to learn, perhaps. But questions are just so powerful to get yourself thinking, to get others thinking, and deep listening. Again, I just think that it's a great way to build trust and build relationships. And it, you have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. You have to have those conversations when you can tell that someone is upset about something or something's off. You have to be brave enough to say, hey, tell me what you're thinking. What's going on here? Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, so you got to you got to kind of read the signals. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, and I have an example of that as well. One of my best leaders on my team, I could tell she was frustrated about something. And we had a really good relationship and open communication. And I said, is something wrong? And she said, yeah, I don't know why you didn't invite me to go to that meeting with you. And it was, it was a meeting with executives. And in my mind, the thing I told myself was, we have had this conversation about this topic a thousand times. I'm going to save her the time and spare her the hassle of meeting about this topic again. So I'm thinking I'm doing her a favor and she's thinking that I don't want her there, that I, I feel like her input's not valuable or whatnot. So we both were making assumptions that were erroneous. And if we had not had that conversation, it could have harmed our relationship. Yeah, that's such a great example of, of stuff that happens probably every day in, in organizations. People making assumptions, well, you wouldn't be interested in that, so I didn't include you, or you know, you're so busy, or whatever the case may be. And and here it is, you know, somebody's sitting back thinking that, you know, you they've been excluded. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the last thing I would want her to feel. She's very valuable. And so it allowed me to apologize and explain my thinking which helped her also feel better about it. It takes vulnerability and leaning into the, the discomfort a little bit. Yeah, and what I also like about what you did was you validated her feelings. Mm -hmm. Like I hear a lot, you can imagine the stories that I must hear. I hear the story that same situation and what happens is they don't get validated, they get dismissed. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, what are, you, what are you getting all worked up about? It's no big deal. You've, you've been through this before. You don't need this. I made the decision. It's nothing. But sometimes that's what happens and it really wasn't a nothing and they really were excluded. Yeah. I, I joke about this, but it's not really funny. As, you know, I make a living because leaders don't get this message and they don't handle this properly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And believe me, Mike, I learned so much from bumping my head time and again <laughs> and, and making mistakes. And that's, you know, that's part of my motivation to want to coach and mentor and help other leaders is so that maybe they can learn from from my mistakes and that won't prevent them from making their own. But if I can help people get a little farther down the road, I know that the training and the mentors that I had made such a huge difference. So, Yeah, no, that's great. I'm thinking about two things that come to mind as we're talking about this. So one is if you're the employee and now you're the one who feels slighted or you feel upset about something. And maybe they're not working for someone like you who would recognize that and ask them about it. So they're sitting back and they're kind of stewing over this. So now how could someone go about taking this up with their boss in a way that's not going to get them fired? Sure. It's going to take courage and it does make a difference the sort of boss they have, the sort of leader that they're working for, whether that leader is open to having questions and a good leader should always want that. But I would still encourage the person to find a way to bring it up when they're not emotional about it. And so hopefully they have one-on-one -on -one time or regular meetings and they can say, Hey, you, you mentioned going and meeting with this person on this topic, and I would have been curious about that. Is there any reason you didn't bring me along? And just have it be a curiosity more so than an emotional, you know, foot stomping kind of question. <laughs> Sometimes right. the delivery is a big part of it, right? 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you're right. It's never advisable to have a conversation like that when you're feeling all emotional and heated about it. Right. Because it's always like you get an email from somebody and, and it brings out that emotion. It's best to walk away from your computer before you send back the response. Absolutely and, uh, right. Email could be a killer in situations like that. Uh, I was thinking about it also from the perspective of if you're trying to be constructive about it as as the employee, it's one thing to raise the issue like, hey, by the way, you know, I would have liked to have gone to that meeting. If it's not a meeting, maybe there is a project that you want to get involved in. You're looking for some career growth. You want to really maybe get to the next level. I think a good leader will recognize the potential of their of their team and try to work with their team to get the most out of them and help them realize their full potential. Not all of us have been fortunate enough to work for someone like that. Absolutely, Mike, I agree with you. And I would say that there is responsibility on that team member's part as well to say the direction they wanna be going and to speak up and ask to be part of that project. And if the answer is no, a good question is, What do I need to do to be ready for the next one? Yes. Feedback is such an important growth tool. And everyone at every level benefits from feedback. And it's important to be able to accept it as a gift because it's hard. It's it's uncomfortable. And often it's difficult for leaders to give feedback. So that's an important skill to learn. If someone is not getting feedback to find a way to ask for it and, and, and to let their leader know that I want this. I want this growth. I'm not going to be have my feelings hurt or I'm not going to be sensitive. I want to know how I can be better. I think your suggestion about asking for it, you want that promotion or you want to get involved in that project, ask for it. And I think the other thing that I hear people talking about is managers generally, they like people who use their own initiative to find ways to add value. And if you're someone that sticks to the job description, so to speak, and you don't really feel comfortable or you don't use your own initiative to venture beyond the job description and push the envelope a little bit, then it's hard to be thought of in that way. I think a lot of that, I'm curious about your thoughts on this, but how do you bring that out of someone if you notice that maybe they're not taking enough personal risk to get involved in new things, but you want to really help them get there? What are some of the things you can do? Yeah. Again, I think it's going back to asking lots of questions, staying curious. Is it that the work they're doing either isn't interesting to them or perhaps it's a confidence thing that they don't venture out for fear of, you know, making mistakes or failing? Often that can be the case. And a good leader will create an environment where People can fail and and learn from that and have safety in that. But it's tough because like we said at the beginning, every person is different. So to really find out why someone is not pushing ahead and rising to their potential would take some digging and trust building because for that person to, and maybe they don't even know they haven't actually articulated it to themselves, but it, it can take some conversation to get to the heart of that. Yeah. So the trust thing is a big thing. There's a lot of people that work for big companies where it's very stressful and everybody feels the pressure to be perfect. That can be difficult to deal with. We're back with Pat O'Neill. 
from Red Hand Advisors, continuing his story about his recent client engagement. After completing our needs analysis and system review, instead of recommending a new system, we proposed a plan to improve the usage of the existing system. Once we had agreement on the key priorities and desired results, we served as a liaison between the existing vendor, ensuring that both sides understood the goals and objectives and saw the project through to completion, saving the client significant time, aggravation, and money, and thus avoiding going down the path of scrapping their current system and going through a lengthy implementation. To learn more about Red Hand, just visit our website at redhandadvisors.com forward slash key, and be sure to download your free copy of the Remus Report. It's got a wealth of great information. So I just wanted to maybe dig a little deeper on your background. Before you got into risk management, you mentioned that you were involved in claims and you worked for claims organizations. What did you learn from managing claims that helped you to be a better risk manager? You know, Mike, I really believe that my knowledge over time of claims is what allowed me to be the risk manager at Lowe's because it was such a large expense line. I started out just as a claims adjuster, like so many people in the industry, and got some excellent training with Liberty Mutual as my first employer. And over time, just starting from the ground up, not only could I look at data and analytics to understand a large program, but I had seen individual failed-backed claims or catastrophic claims or just the small the small ones that happen over and over. So to really, from the ground up, understand frequency and severity and how claims happen, you know, how injuries happen and how you might have a program to help prevent them, I think that was really the the key stepping stone to go to Lowe's. For five years prior to going to work there, I was the dedicated account manager. So... I went out into the field and and did training for HR and safety people. I did data analytics and looked for trends and then tried to develop programs to reduce cost. And so I really did know all of the claims program inside and out for those five years of being dedicated before ever going to work at Lowe's. And it was a situation where the risk manager was retiring and he recommended me, which was such an honor for me. That's awesome. When you first joined Lowe's, was your job maybe skewed towards claims management? Well, it was claims, insurance buying, and ERM. We had a an ERM program in its infancy at that time. And I was a bit nervous about the insurance piece of it because I had never done that. And and when I was interviewed by the CFO, I, I just said that straight up. I said, I've never bought insurance. And he knew that from my application, but I guess I didn't want them to have any you know, false expectations. But I, I'm very grateful for you know, the broker partnerships, and they were just incredibly supportive and helped me learn that piece of it. A great example of a candidate that maybe didn't check all the boxes, but showed the potential, apparently to be successful nonetheless. Yes, that's exactly it. And over the time that I was there, so many things came onto the plate. Crisis management, the ERM program really grew, and the captive, you know, being very involved with the captive. So 
it was never done, but, you know, would be more in hand. And again, having the right team members in place that were working on the claims program and the insurance program and ERM and so on. So that's also a big part of leadership, wouldn't you say? Definitely. Having the right people in the right roles is not always so easy. It's absolutely not. And You know, one thing I noticed and I've cautioned others in coming into new roles like this is change begets change. So when I first went in, several of the team members that had been there for a while just self-selected and decided to leave because it was a new leader. They were going to have to adjust and do things differently. And coming in, you often have self-selection of change and then change based on maybe the person wasn't a fit or... Um, whatnot. But going into a new role like that, there was there was a good bit of personnel change. Yeah. So part of what you're doing when you're going into a new role, right, you're, you're trying to learn the company. You already had a head start with that, which is great. Part of learning the company is learning the people that you're now going to be responsible for and, and the roles and who's doing what. I think it's a real challenge when people self-decide that they're going to make changes and you're still getting your feet wet, it sounds like. Definitely. Of course, from the outset, no two leaders are the same. So my style and my approach was very different. And not every person and every leader are going to fit with one another as far as that goes. So I I would just encourage folks going into new roles to, you know, be prepared for that and, and try not to take it too personally. Brings up the other question in my mind is when I've dealt with so many different organizations over the years, and and one of the things that happens, let's say you have an organization that merges with another one. So there's lots of change in a situation like that. And somehow or another, there are always people that I can recall that seem to survive no matter what happens to their company. I always wondered, what is it about that person that enables them to be successful through all these different mergers. I'm thinking of one person in particular. They went through, I think, five different mergers with the same company. Wow. That's a huge change. What do you think it was for that person? I think that they were someone who was very well connected within the organization and someone who was thought of as a problem solver, plug and play. If we had an issue, oh, let's let's send Bob over there. You know, he can take care of it or things like that where you become really invaluable to so many different people, but to the extent, and this is the, I think the real key, you know, when you go through a merger and the leaders of the combined organization are meeting to figure out who's going to have what job, what is it that will get your manager to fight for you? It's one thing to say, you know, they, that you're well thought of and all of that, but you know, if you're going to survive a merger, somebody has to go to battle for you and be willing to really stick up for you. And in order to bring that out of somebody, you really have to go above and beyond in the value that you bring to your job every day. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's that knowledge and also, I think a couple of things that we've touched on before, Mike, one is trust. That leader knows that you're someone that is going to do the right thing for the organization, that is going to do your best no matter what. You know, I think often in mergers and acquisitions, people can get in a place of fear and Mm -hmm. that can drive behavior that's not optimal for themselves or the organization. And the person you described sounds like they're fairly agile and flexible. 
yeah. um, along with having skills and knowledge. Yes, I would agree with all of that. But it's more more than skills or actual experience in specific things. It's the ability to be nimble, as you said, and to pivot and to really find ways to solve problems and add value. You touched on something else, which is very, very common in merger situations. Organizations can be can become very political and people become more concerned with protecting their turf than, you know, really providing value in the same way. Yes. And the change. So someone who's going to do well is going to be willing to accept that, okay, so we've done this process this way for the last 30 years. We're going to do it differently now. And they can just say, okay, I can understand why that makes sense. Let's do it differently. Whereas folks who may not fare as well get entrenched with Mm -hmm. this is how it's always been done. Why would we do it different? They're not as accepting of the change that is inevitable. Right. I'll tell you right now, in this day and age, if you want to lose your job, just try telling somebody, well, that's the way we've always done it. So that is the kiss of death. So Valerie, there's one thing that I think our listeners would really appreciate. When you're hiring someone for your team, obviously every job has its key skills and experience that you require. But what are some of the other things that you look for and how do you recognize it when you see it? It's really tough in the interview process, Mike. You know this better than anyone, but I really like to get a sense of who they are as a person, meaning what values do they hold dear, some degree of emotional intelligence, personal resilience, and by resilience, that is, you know, ability to to continue to perform through challenges and through change and so forth. It really is more along the what is considered to be soft skills, which I think are equally, if not more important than the, the technical ability, because the technical ability, you can find out about that a bit easier. So it's more about is this a person that is going to work well in a team and have a high level of integrity and be positive and supportive of other people, you know, those sorts of things. The supportive of the team is a big thing, I think, and and a lot of the jobs that I've worked on. If you walk into an interview, and this is tricky as a candidate because you have to sell yourself. Somebody asks you, you talk about an accomplishment or something like that. Of course, you have to sell yourself and it comes off that you're maybe some people might think bragging about yourself, but you have to tell a story about something successful in your background, right? And I'm just thinking about this from some of the comments I've had from feedback I've had from interviews. How can someone accomplish that objective of identifying you know, positive things that you've done and accomplishments? and still come off like a good team player who is going to make the team around them better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I'm listening for when someone is answering that sort of question is what was their role and what do they give credit to others for? If it was a big accomplishment, it's unlikely they did it themselves completely. So to what degree are they acknowledging others that helped them or supported them? And I look for authenticity. You can often tell if someone is telling a story to to overcome a great challenge, there's going to be bumps along the way. And if it appears that it's rosy the entire way, I'm going to be curious about what's missing. Yeah, no, that's great. 
Great point. Great point. I think this has been a great conversation. We touched on a lot of different things and I'm interested in hearing how your leadership coaching is going with respect to, you know, helping risk managers. Because I think, you know, with your risk management background now and your coaching background, there's a lot of people that I see in the industry who are being elevated into senior roles, you know, earlier in their career than they might otherwise have been just due to circumstances and due to their own initiative, like we were talking about before. So uh, I could see a real need for that kind of a service. So thank you very much for uh, coming on the show and, and sharing your insights here. And I look forward to hearing more about it. Thank you so much, Mike. I look forward to talking with you again. Thank you for listening to Should I Stay or Should I Go? Brought to you by Key Strategies, LLC, the US insurance and risk management recruitment specialists. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. And if you have any specific career-related questions, please post them or send an email directly to Mike at mtenenbaum at keystrategies.com. He may even answer your question on the show. When you subscribe, you'll also get notifications of when the next episode is available. Hope you join us next time.